Hey, this is Russell, and I work at the video store. I love this job because when the store is quiet, I get to watch movies and series and talk about them with my best friends that work here. Interesting people also pop in to rent something all the time. Each week, we can help you figure out what you could be watching on streaming platforms and out in cinemas. All right, let's do it. Let's open up the shop. Did you see that thing yesterday on the TV? Good morning, guys. Hi. Morning, Russell. We've got Cole. Yeah. And we've got Graham. Yo. And we've got me. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> Welcome to the video store, everyone. Thank you for joining us on what is now a rather mizzy morning in what <laughs> should be a summer's day here in Joburg. But do you know what? It's movie weather. This mm. is true. And we're going to help you figure out what you could be watching in this movie weather. Yeah. Uh, today on the show, a good friend of really the Bioscope and now of the video store, Nikki Komninos is going to pop in. She is a very accomplished editor and we have gotten to know her over the years at the Bioscope. But she is now at the helm of a very exciting true crime series mm. that is a Showmax original called Convict Conman. And let me tell you, I'm in. Cool. I'm hooked. Oh. It is um, a very important story um, centered around this very interesting individual. But as you will see from our chat, it is the kind of individual that we see often in society. Yeah. And so we need to see these kind of true crime explorations so that we can stay away from these individuals. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But it's always astounding to see how far these people get. Mm, right. Um, it is um, not something I want to give too much away of now. I think you must stick around for our chat about it as we go through it. Yes. And um, yeah, just a, a great person. I've always enjoyed having Nikki in the bioscope. It's always been great to see what she's done. And of course, this is very exciting because this is a... Her, her directing mm. for the for really what is the first time. Cool. So we'll get so, into that, which I think Nikki. is cool. Um, then we all went to Wonka. Yes, we yeah. did. We watched Wonka last Thursday, which was cool. It was a nice little sneak peek before yeah. everyone else got to see it. And I want us to talk about that because mm. mm. it is magical. That's wonderful. I think we can. I think we can all agree. But we're going to talk more about it, and I'd love us to chat about how it fits in with the other Wonka films. Yes. Mm. Which I think there's a lot to talk about there. And then there's a very exciting film that I saw coming. I mentioned it. You did a few weeks uh, a, a while, while ago. Called Leave the World Behind, which popped up on the on the weekend and and it certainly seems like a lot of South Africa identified it <laughs> and have been consuming it. And um and you saw it, Cole? Yeah, I finished it all the way. I started watching it, and then I had to go and watch Dave Matthews Band, oh, <laughs> which cool. was very exciting. But yeah, Dave Matthews Band came to South Africa, and I watched them last night. So I was a little, obviously excited to go to the concert, yes. but I was really excited about this movie, <laughs> and I really can't wait to finish it. Have you seen it, Graham? No, I haven't. Okay. No. But you, you know about it? I know, yeah. I, I remember when you mentioned the trailer. I watched yeah, the trailer Ju back then. Julia Roberts. Yes. Uh, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Got a little bit of Footloose in there. What's the <laughs> yeah, name? A little Kevin bit of Bacon. Bacon. Yeah. 
Yeah, and but it's a very intriguing thriller. And I've got some thoughts on what I think it's going to be about. Okay. <laughs> having seen the first hour. Uh, but yeah, I don't think we should waste much more time. I think for those just joining, please stick around um, for after the chat. So basically what's going to happen is Nikki's going to pop in. She's going to rent something and we're going to have a little chat. But then after that, myself, Cole and Graham are going to have this chat about what we're watching. So stick around for that and we'll see you after the chat. Should we get into it, boys? Let's do it. Have you got got work to do? Yeah, yeah. I've got to go vacuum. (laughs) You're going to go vacuum? (laughs) Vacuum the store. Someone's got to do it. Yeah. All right. You go do that. Cool. Uh, This is Nikki Komninos popping in to rent something. How's it? Hey. (laughs) It is so good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. And it is so nice to see you in this capacity. We have gotten to know each other over the years. Mm-hmm. It's all been bioscope. Hey, you were never at Varsity with me. No. I think we, we both were at Vits, but not at the same time. Okay, because I'm at that point in my 30s where I've run into a few people and gone, like, I recognize you immediately. Hey, what's up? What part of my life I were know. you a part of? I know. How do I know you? And one, it's happened twice. Well, I've had the gumption to ask this question twice. And the first one was very happily uh, responded like high school and I was like that's right Whoa. and the other one was like Russell it was varsity like how dare you and I'm like oh god but uh, so we just met each other over the years at the bioscope hey I think so yes yeah did we screen some of the stuff that you've been working on over the years there have been screenings of stuff that I've worked on definitely yeah 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 you just feel like you're a, a part of our world yeah. And and we often see you for premieres and things. And so um, what was very exciting is that the good people at Showmax have a very incredible PR wing, a dude called Kevin. Mm. And he has, I've never met him, but he's formed a great relationship with me where he often says, don't you want to interview this person or this person for the show? And then when he, he introduced the idea that you've now directed, because I've always known you as an editor. Yes, yes. That you've now directed a TV show. I was like, this is very exciting. And we must have Nikki on the show. Oh, well, thank you. So just tell me where you at now, because episode one of your show, which is Convict Conman. Yes. Is a new Showmax original. This is made by the same people that did Devil's Dorp, which yes. you worked on. You edited Devil's Dorp. Yes. What does this mean to you? Um, I mean, it's... We we did Devil's Dorp together as a team with Idea Candy, and it was a wonderful moment. It, it really felt like when you know when you know you're making something special, and you're wrapping it up, and then you're ready to give it to someone, and you're excited. Um, and then since then, we've I've had a great relationship with Idea Candy. I also worked on Steinheist and um, Rosemary's Hit List, two other of their productions. And then at the beginning, oh, early this year, um, the producers came to me and said, um, how would you feel about um, directing this next project? And I was like, what? <laughs> um, what is directing for you? Have, you? have you done much? I actually started as a director a million years ago um, when the SABC was still functional. I was part of the Encounters filmmaking lab and I did a, okay, yeah. a docu for the SABC and Encounters. But I quite quickly became an editor and... Um, Never really thought about that part of my life ever again. Very much like identified as an editor, so it was. It felt like a very, like different, 
thing and I was terrified and I was like, I, I didn't know if I could say yes. And then I was like, how could I say no to this actually? <laughs> yeah, because what, what I found very interesting is Idea Candy is the production company and we actually had David Enright, the mm. director of Devil's Door, as a customer on the video store. And what was very interesting is that Showmax had that idea. It wasn't as if the production company pitched it to Showmax. Showmax were like, we want to make something about the satanic murders in Krugersdorf. Mm. And did they? who had the idea for this one? I'm, I'm not actually sure of the genesis of it, but I was okay. approached by Idea Candy with the idea. And, and when it came to you, it was a fully formed, like, this is the dude, this is the story. It, 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 it was like a, a two-page research document. Okay. But yeah. it, okay. Because that would be the one question is how did this find you? But okay. <laughs> but it was through this network of a production company that is very good at making yes. good South African true crime documentary material Yes, that they were like, this one is for you. Why do you think they chose you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think in a way we've become like a little filmmaking family. Um, uh, I think we've come to understand each trust. other and trust each other. And um, I guess a lot of mutual respect. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, just very okay. excited and honored that yeah. they offered me this privilege. And we, we're obviously going to get into Convict Conman and we're going to talk about it and so, so everyone will understand what it's all about. But just to speak very briefly about directing for documentary, you being an editor actually lines you up in a way very perfectly to be the director of a documentary because I think what I th what I love about the video store is that we've got these interesting guests that make interesting stuff, be it theater or um, directing animation. We had um, Daniel Snadden on the show, and it was great to hear how one directs animation, which is, mm. of course, its own beast. Mm. And, of course, the people understand the typical narrative director where it's like, you've got to get the best out of your actors. Yeah. Try it again and do more of this. And I want to, you know, you can imagine them sort of, massaging the scene to get it right but correct me if i'm wrong but to have a really good understanding of editing would be the chief talent in directing documentary because it really is all about the edit yeah sure you've got to get something out of your subjects and you've got to interview them right and you've got to have that that's that's important which we'll get to but you you see it more in the edit right Look, you're talking to an editor, so I probably have some bias. <laughs> sure, but, but I mean, if you were, like, I think what could be very tricky is being a documentary filmmaker, having to f work your film out in the edit. So if you don't really understand editing or have a good relationship with an editor, yeah, um, it might be difficult to piece it, because it's a puzzle piece. Absolutely. Often, and yeah. that is all in editing. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I always think of documentary editing as uh, problem solving. You, you're just always problem solving because as much as there is a roadmap, it's reality and reality hands you different things and you can tell the story from so many different perspectives and, and you can start in the middle or start at the end or start at the beginning. Exactly. Where is the beginning? Where is the middle? So it is just a series of moments of problem solving. But w what has been really interesting for me is – you know, I've been editing for like uh, 17 years and oh, wow. I, you get so stuck in your silo and 
to, uh, to, to be now in this new space, it's such a renewed understanding of the whole process and the whole family of filmmaking and everybody's little role. And I think, especially in post, you know, you're, you're the underdog, you're in a dark room, you don't really connect with everyone, you don't go to the rap party, you don't do all the fun things. Oh, really? <laughs> and, is, that, is that often the case? Oh, yeah, you don't, you know, the collective noun of editors is a moan of editors. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think seeing the pressures of production, reminding myself of the pressures of production, because you kind of know it intellectually, but you can forget it because you're just yeah, in your edit you just space. Get the, you get the footage. So it's been such a nice reminder of how you know the other side of things and um yeah i've really appreciated that again so because i think you can also get a little bit snotty about your craft and the importance i think everybody does that you know like colorists do that and it's all about this it's all about exactly without this then but actually we're all just a machine together and every every part has to be oiled and work together and yeah okay but you you wrote directed and did you you edited this i didn't edit you it. didn't edit it I didn't. okay okay but you probably shot it with the edit in mind like you you knew what you needed yeah you knew that you needed certain shots i think you, having rehearsed editing in my practice for so many years like I, I couldn't not approach it with post-production in mind. Yeah. It's, it, it's just so much part of my DNA now. To, yeah. That's the way that like I look at things. So yeah, I mean, I think everybody does shoot for edit, but um, I, I definitely did have that in mind. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about what this actually is. Sure. Because it's juicy. <laughs> um, it all centers around a dude based out of Kempton Park called nice. Darby de Villiers, who is this like model boss. And um, he fancies himself as this sort of head of some like kind of modeling agency out there. And he's got this string of accusations around him. And it's about the unraveling of this one person. But what I find interesting, and I think we can talk about it because this is the first episode and it kind of sets everything up. Yes. Is that you actually start your episode speaking about someone seemingly different. Okay. How do I put this? We start with this person, Michael. Yes. And about a business and people are, that they've started. But then it dials back and then we talk about this Darby. Yes. And it takes you a little moment before you wonder why, how are we going back in time to a different person? Mm. Or is it a different person and you're not sure? And then you tie it so nicely together at the end. But um, it's, for me... I think there's a lot of true crime out there, obviously. And what, for me, determines whether or not we should be watching certain things or dismissing certain things is whether or not there's this kind of universal um, person or problem or, mm. or conversation to be had. Because I think every now and again you, you'll hear some very strange, very odd true crime and you think, okay, well, that was interesting, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean that's a once in a lifetime kind of crazy yes. person that yes. loves to do that. Yes, but our character here in Convict Conman, it could be like it seems to be that this happens everywhere. It yes. happens all the time, and yes. I mean, from Kempton Park, yes, to Jeffrey Epstein, yes, exactly. You've got these individuals who are preying on this on these people, and it's not just this like one or two moments. It's like there's a 
yeah. string of this. Absolutely. And and so that immediately has someone like myself who doesn't necessarily seek out and want to consume true crime go, okay, well, we've got to pay attention here. Yeah. And this is this is interesting. Yeah. What what were some of those things that, that you yeah, got out of it? What did you Yeah, I mean I, I think I felt um a strong sense of responsibility to to tell this story uh considerately in a considered way. Yeah. Um and that we we live in a country with uh, huge amounts of sexual violence. Yeah. And um you know, I think what entertainment and commercial television does is it sometimes allows us to hold a really important issue a little bit further away from us in a sort of two-dimensional space on the screen where we can look at something and and talk about it and think about it in a way that's externalized from ourselves, which feels safer. So I think yeah. like having something like this allows a con- – I'm hoping that it, it allows a conversation about sexual abuse – in our country to be ventilated. You know, so many things do happen. The, the, the first episode is called Behind Closed Doors. So, so many things happen behind closed doors and people don't talk about it. Um, you know, also, you know, where, where do we define sexual violence? Totally. And there's that great scene where that one woman wanted to report it and the, and the cops like, but did he rape you? And she's like, yes. no, but it was misconduct. And yes. so I think what's just so great, and I think that's what, yeah, what is really important for today's climate is is showing the nuance yes. of this. Not just that moment, but also just like how systematically a guy like him can just get away with it for so many occasions. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to have this, I'm not saying I'm not condoning it, but I'm saying this, it's one thing to have this one moment where someone misunderstood and, oh, geez, you know, this is horrible, but let's let's figure this out. This is a dude who's... It's just amazing that they can get away with so much for so long Absolutely. And, and not think that they can't get any repercussions. I mean, I think there's there for me, there's two facets in, in how he gets away with it. And, and, and one is that he's a manipulative sort of dark personality who's got some tactics. And then the other facet is that there's a society that allows it to a certain degree that unquest- that you don't question him or rather question the victims. Yeah. So there's this moment which... I don't think we're giving away because we're explaining this 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 first episode where, so this guy is a model dude. He's involved in models, and so now he creates these shoots where these women, often very young, are coming for photo shoots, and he is somehow able to get away with saying no parents. Mm-hmm. So somehow he's able to get away with that, mm-hmm. which that 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 is a in its microcosm alone mm. says so much. That he obviously is conniving, he's aware, he knows, he's setting it all up. But that, as you said, that the world goes, this, this sounds like a little bit of a red flag, but they still went. Y- yes, exactly. That no parents sort of stepped in and were like, uh-uh, you're yeah. not going to a photo shoot where the guy says no parents allowed. He, he creates this kind of mythology around himself uh, uh, using various tactics like religion, authority, aspiration, selling yeah. dreams. So there's a there's a lot of... But it's very interesting because the Tinder swindler, mm. you know, was extorting big amounts of money from women. So he was able to live a lavish life. He actually yes. had the jet yes. and he had the clothes. And then, of course, Epstein, this was just his huge kink. Yes. But, you know, he was making money and 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 
you know, a lot of that money was very real and given to him. But this guy's like operating in Kempton Park. I know, I know. And those, those houses look so like, you know, Kempton Parky. Totally Kempton. Yeah, I think for me that was also like a really important part of the story is that, you know, this is a, a like a, a B-grade criminal. Mm. If you could, it, it ain't no Jeffrey Epstein, but... It's the same tactics and it's it just shows that you don't need a million no. dollars in a huge house in Florida to get the women. Like the Totally. Oh, it's hectic. And that that it's happening next door to us right now. Yeah. You know, in in various kind of you know, in all kind of working environments, it's not only the modeling and, and yeah. sort of entertainment industry authority is asserted power dynamics are asserted in a way that manipulates people and takes advantage of them and the interesting thing for me is that you also wonder with these individuals how much of it is conniving where they know what mm. they're doing and they and they know this and how much of it is delusion where they like where they almost legitimately believe they are this modeling boss and they yes. are this person that can yes and did you feel like you get a sense of that throughout the because obviously we've just had one episode released, but yes. you've have you completed and submitted the whole yes, thing? Yes. Okay, so you know what's to unfold. I know what happens. Yes. Of course. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm curious to see whether how much of it is delusion and how much of it is him knowing precisely what he's doing. You know, I think was I mean, that was that confusing with him with this guy in particular. I think that's part of our fascination with true crime is is like how are these people similar to us and how are they different to us and you know what makes me not a bad person and what makes that person a bad person. I mean, I think this person is a very bad person. Yeah. That is the the conclusion that I came to. But I think sometimes living in a delusion means that you don't yourself. No, you're a bad person. Not that that is in any way a justification or an excuse. I used to think this about our former president, Jacob Zuma. I used to think, does he think he's doing a good job? Like in his mind, does he go home at night and think that he's serving the population or not? So, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know the answer. One can only ever gesture at it. But my hunch is that he's severely delusional. He's severely disturbed. But I don't think he recognizes it. Okay. That's that's my hunch. Yeah. And you'll you'll see in episode two when everybody watches <laughs> that, yeah, they, yeah they, it it becomes quite evident that there's a, a large amount of delusion going on. Okay. So as I said, this episode is is starts you with this one person, mm-hmm. Michael O'Connor, mm-hmm. and the individuals around him, and they're going to set up this newspaper, but nobody gets money, mm-hmm. nobody ever meets him, mm-hmm. and then you, you stop, you dial back a couple of years, and now there's this Darby de Villiers, yes. and it's all about him, and he's quite out in the open, you, there's footage of him hosting yes. these modeling competitions, yes. and then of course the whole thing is carte blanche then gets their hands on him, yes. and starts building this profile, and, and now we're going to sort of see this. But then you understand that he is then arrested. Yeah. So my my thing, <laughs> and perhaps you don't want to give it away, is like this Michael O'Connor persona, is he operating that from his prison cell? Well, so at the end of episode one, he gets arrested, but that doesn't mean that you're found guilty necessarily. Okay. okay. Um. And what we learn about Michael O'Connor is that he has a vested interest in Darby de Villiers' innocence. Wait, so they're not the same person? 
I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> okay, so we don't want to we don't want to <laughs> say whether or not that is the case. But this 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 individual, Michael O'Connor does have a a, a great interest in Davi de Villiers' innocence, which makes uh, the employees suspicious as to why a businessman would want to protect a pedophile. Okay. Because they could be the same person. Or, <laughs> or they not. could be part of a pedophile ring. No, but I love this. This is what's you know, this is what is great about television and it's what it's what's great about true crime. And I can't now for the life of me think which show it was because sometimes they do blur into one. But sure. there was there was a great show uh that was I could have been Tinder Swindler, it could have been one of those ones where the the documentary showed you a character. Yes. And that person was on camera saying, I'm the lawyer or something, it's right? T- it's it was Tinder Swindler. No, it's the bad vegan. The bad vegan, that's yeah. right. There was, a, there was a person who was like the lawyer or something. The IT dude. The I- IT guy. Yeah. And this is what's so great. So you have this person on camera. Yes. Talking about their involvement in the story. Yes. And then it gets revealed at one point that that person doesn't that's exist. And on camera that person fades away yes, and you realize that the documentary filmmaker was playing with you. Yes. Just like the characters were being deceived. Yes. You as the audience member are going to get the magic show too. You I, know, it's the same as like a movie like The Prestige. Yes. Movies about magicians yes. tend to be a magic show to the audience. Yes, absolutely. They will purposefully deceive you because that is what we are talking about. It's a, it's also a tricky line because you know as as audiences I think we're we're savvy and increasingly so as we consume we are getting too much smarter content. and smarter yeah, yeah. especially and, with the amount of true crime we we are yeah and consuming and you don't I think an audience doesn't want to um, you don't want to be hoodwinked you don't want okay. to feel cheated I know you, the expression but describe what it means and now you put me on the spot I mean I think what I'm trying to say is that you don't want to feel like too you've, duped you've been misled you there's like a, played with and cheeky play with is one thing yeah. but don't 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 like deceive me too much. A deliberate red herring that goes nowhere. Okay, Do you know that sure. sometimes yeah, that yeah. will happen in true crime where they go down like a rap, like a, that one about um, the woman in that building, that famous hotel in LA. Mm. Um, you go down all these rabbit holes that actually lead you nowhere. And then I think as an audience, you feel a bit frustrated because you're like, I don't like, want to waste time on this. Yeah. You knew that this was going nowhere. Like a great twist or a great reveal is something where. Like with that IT guy, I remember thinking, oh, but this, I don't understand why he has this information or why he's on camera saying this because he's mm. exp- ex- uh, showing himself to be duplicitous. And, yeah, and he's I, admitting I, to it all. Yeah, 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 I felt like this character's weird, but I didn't quite get realize, to the yeah. next step. And then he disappears and you think, damn. But if you feel like they just misled you for no reason and then they twist you back yeah, and there's like, no, exactly. you, can, you can frustrate an audience. So it's a fine line building in these things, you know. Did you consume a lot of true crime or do you in preparation for this? Um, look, it's I... I I do watch sometimes when I'm in in edit I'll like watch the opening of like 15 documentaries in a row just to like look at the mechanics of what they're doing yeah. to give some inspiration if I'm feeling stuck and I do examine content when I watch it because I can't help it it's just the way that my my brain is looking at things um 
but I also just passively consume like everybody else. You sure. Know? <laughs> but you've got to create quite a lot of content when you are making and when you are bringing a story that happened, when was it, sort of 2016, 2017? When was he sort of the model guy? And 2012 was when he was 2012. First. So you've only got so much footage that exists. Yes, yeah. And sure, you can go on an investigative journalist trip, which you did, and you gather yeah. the stuff. But you've got to then create yes. a lot of other B-roll footage. Yes, and, you, yes. and especially your interview people, you've got to get them looking at papers and yeah, marking yes, things. Yes. And, so you got to fill these gaps. You've yes. got to add these visual cues. Absolutely. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting to see how it's put together. So you've obviously got to see how others do it. Yeah, and then also try to think of a way to do it differently <laughs> always, which exactly, is like right? a, a, a tricky one. And what, what suits the um, the particular story? Like with, with this story, I knew I didn't want to do reenactments. I think reenactments around sexual abuse are... It's hard. Is, you know, yeah, so... What I decided to do was to to shoot young girls' rooms, and I use the word girls because he was um, yeah. targeting, you know, people they were under like 16. 14, 15. Yeah. Exactly. So you you get a to, to try and get a visual sense of like the sort of like where they're at in their lives. It's that that tricky moment when you start looking like a grown woman, but you're still very much an adolescent. Yeah. And your room has got both of those things in it. It's got like makeup, but it's also got like books about ponies yeah, and like, no, you know. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, no, no. And I see that in episode one. That was very clear. Is there some fear on your life at the moment? Sorry, why I say that is because <laughs> some of these true crime directors, sometimes, you know, you, you're poking yes. certain hornet's nests. Yeah. I Are mean... You, are you okay at this point? <laughs> I've uh, the 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 biggest thing that I felt is um, a responsibility to the women who talked to me to make their story feel heard and safe and honest for them. So that that was my biggest focus is to make sure that the victim survivors who shared their stories felt okay and and felt that their story was being in a to in a way that they wanted to be represented. Mm. Um, and then the kind of thing about him and what he he might do was for me second to that. Um, and but I must say I, I've worked on on stories as an editor where people have said that they feel they feel afraid. And as an editor, you're kind of protected from that because nobody your your name's way down there. Nobody yeah, cares. Exactly. Nobody even really understands. And it does feel a little bit different, I must say. Now also because you see people face to face. Yeah. You know, and 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 that creates a bigger responsibility to that person. They've there's some kind of contract that you've had. Whereas an edit, obviously, you're playing out that contract with the director, but you don't feel it as intimately because you didn't look someone in the eyes and say, "I promise to do right by you." Yeah. So um, I guess we'll need to see how how it unfolds to see how how hectic it could be. I'm I'm hoping the the convict stays true and <laughs> and this guy is locked away. Is he alive? He is alive. He is alive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where all of a sudden, immediately my gut is like, I hope Nikki is safe in all of this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also the women who speak out who he knows and who are saying things about him. That's also... Yeah. But, um, but I mean, I think they are safe. I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. But, I mean, yeah. documentary is a very 
it's a it's a, it's a tricky beast. Yeah, no, and you wear it very much on your chest, and people know what you've done and see you. And yeah, yeah, you, know, you can't hide. Absolutely. Okay. Well, listen. Well done on that. Just to sort of talk about convict conman to, to that degree, and I think it's exciting and awesome that you've that you're directing now. That you've got your name out there on this. It's, it looks really great. It's, it's. I hope it's well received. I imagine it will be. Yeah. Um, let's go on a little journey, if you don't mind. Okay. We've got something we do here at the, at the video store, which is to go through the films that you've loved okay. across your life. I didn't actually give you much preparation on this. <laughs> I've realized I'm, I'm springing it very much on you. But um, now that we sort of know where you're at now, let's just go back and just briefly, I'm curious to know what films you've loved across your life. Okay. Okay. Where do we grow up? Um, I was born in Zimbabwe and I grew up in Durban. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. And when you were a kid, what kind of access did you have to cinemas and video uh, stores? And uh, in, in Zimbabwe, I, I think we had one VHS, which was Fantasia. Okay. <laughs> where, where in Zim? In Harare. Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay. So are you, are you a dual citizen? No, I, I was just there temporarily and then we, we came back to South Africa in 1991. But oh, I was born there, yeah. Okay. Um, what were some of the films that came to you at a young age? We call it your puppy love film. Oh, my goodness. Which are some of the ones that you've loved? Um... You know, I'm not such like a film buff, actually. I don't know if that's a terrible thing to admit, but I can say that actually a TV series might have yeah. been more um, impactful as uh, I think I had a good relationship with My So-Called Life. My So-Called Life. Did you ever watch it? I remember it. It was a little more feminine. It was kind of. It didn't kinda. speak to me too much as a boy, as like okay. a young boy. Yeah, I mean, it's got Claire Danes. It was Claire Danes. Yes. You went on to then do Romeo and Juliet yes. and everything. Yes, But yes. that was quite angsty. It was, yes. But what point in your life was my so-called life? Um, Primary school? No, it would be like 14, 15. Okay, so that's more high school. Yes. Okay, so that we call is the, is the high school crush film. Okay, it's definitely my high school crush. Jeez. But maybe your, maybe the one before was Fantasia. Maybe. <laughs> that was the one that came to you as the, as the young On film. repeat. <laughs> you just had the one VHS. That's what I recall. I mean, sometimes you make stories in your head that aren't really true, but I, that is my kind of, I guess, primary filmic memory. My, my mother was a journalist. Um, Interesting. And uh, that's where all this 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 comes from. Yes, perhaps. Um, but so there was. I mean, I have a lot of home video footage in my mind, where she was like yeah. obsessively always documenting yeah. us. You're in Convict Con Man. You you speak a lot about the obligations of a journalist, mm. and there's that really great moment <clears throat> in episode one where you are investigating. And you're uncovering this this situation, and then there's this great moment where it's like, oh, we've got to turn this into actual policing. Yes. Like it's one thing to be breaking open this as mere journalists, but like, oh, we've got to we've got to get that. There's that woman who is the um, head of the Sam warrant oh. the warrant lady. Yes, Veronica Banks. Yeah, she's an interesting woman. Yeah. And I just love you've got that great shot of her name outside of her office, which has like little like it's pink and it's got like yes. a little Barbie doll. Yeah. And you're like, what? That's a warrant officer's name tag on a police station. Yeah. Right? Yep. She's like the head of our like SUV 
you like special victim like whatever you know yeah, that yeah. like I love, the, <laughs> I love the I love the the way in which some of those people and offices are are shown in in the more high budget narrative stuff you know they got those like cool sci-fi offices yeah where, she don't. where in reality <laughs> it's this little desk somewhere Totally. She's got her name written mm. in sort of this funny pink writing with this yes. like little bumblebee and like a yes. little Yeah. But those those people are the interesting ones that, that come out in these stories and, and you realise the heroes yeah. in our South African system that really are are doing good. Absolutely. Or trying, trying to do their best. Yeah. No, she she she's a powerhouse and I, I think also um I mean every Men and women suffer sexual abuse, but women in particular uh, yeah. are, are victims of this. And I think um, having a female cop like that is huge. And even Zana Lee, one of the characters, says she, you know, that Veronica Banks was like her auntie. Like, you need that relationship in order to feel safe to to place a charge against your predator. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's quite a tricky space. So I think, yeah, she's she's a She's lovely. And that's it. Then uh, the other character I thought was very interesting was the a, a, a guy I very much know and understand. I don't know him literally, but yes. I, I kind of I know him. Who's that photographer yes. guy who um, is this kind of hipster, kind of cool photographer dude. Yes. Who you would think, I don't want to <laughs> phrase this wrong, but like, you think that that could be the dodgy guy. Sure. You know, he's maybe the tattoo, even though he, I don't know whether he literally had tattoos, but yes. you, you strike, you, you, you would, society would think he's, yes. the, he's the guy that's going to be the dodgy dude, but he's the guy that goes, here are my protocols. This yes. is what I do. Yes. You know, I think he has like a nose piercing. Yes. You know, so society says he, he's going to be the dodgy guy. Yes, absolutely. But he's the guy that's got it all in place. He's like, what's this? bullshit about no parents mm. allowed everyone's welcome mm. why would i not want to have parents at photo shoots <laughs> it's really interesting yeah so absolutely. you chose those people well did you you had to choose those people yeah yeah i mean i think stories like this can sometimes be alienating to men and men can feel put on the spot and i think it's so important to have men as part of this conversation because it's um you know like nikki one of the other analysts says Toxic masculinity hurts men just as much as it hurts women. Totally. And so um, I, it was important to have a male voice and, and, and men are our allies. You know, this is, this is something yeah. we need to fight together. Yeah. So I, I, didn't, I didn't want it to be only Darby who's representing men who's awful. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, okay. But we're going we're gonna to brush through this. The, these films, because obviously your first one that came to mind was, was something that came to you in high school, which was my so-called life. I remember that. It's lovely to go back and, and think about that. Uh, where, were, where were you at high school? Uh, in Durban. In Durban. Yes, okay. Jibs. And then uh, did you study? I did. Where did you study? At UCT. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Okay. So we, And then did you study film? I did. Okay. In their film school? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, what it, was it, that like? It was great. It, it it wasn't really film school. It was still like a. It, I mean, I did film and media studies, but it was like a theoretical sort of critical thinking thing. That's what a little bit more of what Vitz is like. Yeah. It's less. It's 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 not so practical. It's more like Italian neorealism yes. and French New Wave and. Okay, Politics so, of representation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the gaze. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So then then I did honors, and then we um, then we got cameras and actually 
Okay, we were at Wits. We were still we we got quite practical from about year two. Okay, but it wasn't every day, all day. Yes, there was still a lot of theory. Yeah, um, and around that time, what kind of films came to you? Any standout that were like significant ones? Yeah, I think um, I um, happened upon the Encounters Film Festival, and yeah. I started consuming documentary and so I was really into documentary I think uh, some of the the films that like were my sort of like oh my gosh this is such an exciting uh, genre I want to be mm. a part of this would be Capturing the Freedmen's heard the name it's the same guy who did the jinx it's the, his like breakout did you watch the jinx no what you gotta no. okay Documentary is yeah, it's it's it is the smaller, yes, lesser known kid. No, totally. In the family, yeah. So I think all my all my favorite films are documentaries. So I don't know. But, if but this is great because this is what sets you up, you know. And imagine telling that Nikki at UCT like one day you're gonna like make your own. Mm. You're gonna direct it. Yeah. No. She. Would. All of this has been in preparation for now. Yeah, yeah, Which I've always exciting. loved documentary. No, it's great, yeah. And so, um, but you'd appreciate this. So the Bioscope opened in June of 2010, mm-hmm. and we were able to host Encounters the next month ah. in August of 2010. What a feat. Because they, we'd known about Encounters, and then when we popped up and said, hi, we're here as an independent cinema, Encounters said, oh, this is great because we've been struggling to f- – find Joburg sites because they, yes. they they run it out of Cape Town. Yes, exactly. And it and and these festivals have various shapes and forms depending on how much uh, funding yes. they can get. Yes. So at that point they were perhaps a little bit low in in their budget. Yes. And the year before they actually hadn't had a space in Joburg. And so they came back through us. And of course, you can imagine one month into business, yeah. getting the Encounters Film Festival wow. and getting the most perfect audience yes. to come to our new space um, really set the bioscope up. So we've done it every year. Super. Encounters is a, is a really big part of our lives. So it's a documentary film festival, yes. South African and international. Yes. And there's usually a good chance, there's probably a 95% chance that one of the films in their selection, obviously the more the international stuff, will win best documentary at the Oscars. Yes, no, I mean, it's a fantastic place to 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 watch documentary. I mean, I think when I first started going there, I was like, oh my gosh, everything I'm watching here is incredible. Yeah, it's very well curated. Yeah. The guy I started the Bioscope with, Daryl, yes. um, then went on to be the, the, the festival director for two years. Yes. And so it was lovely to see that. Yes. So obviously, you know, Encounters came to us and then yes. in a way the Bioscope was able to go to encounters but no i really appreciate it and and really love it okay so you absorbed that every year yes and loved it i did yeah uh, i don't think i actually watched capturing the freedmen's there but what what is that about so funnily enough i think it might be classified as true crime now but back then i mean i don't think we had that or i was not aware of it as a genre but it's the filmmaker Andrew Jarecki, he he wants to make a documentary about New York party clowns. And so he's um, interviewing like the most famous party clown in New York. And then he asks him an innocuous question about his childhood. And this is the backstory. It's not actually in the film. But he, um, he says something about like, can you tell me about how you grew up? And then he's like, oh, I could... 
I could answer, I could tell you stories. And then I oh, think no. the filmmaker realized. Oh, shit, I got a movie here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and um, he, 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 his father, they grew up in, in, in New York State, but yeah. in a little town called, I think, Great Neck. And um, his father was arrest, ran computer classes for okay. the, all the kids in the neighborhood. And then he was arrested for pedophilia. And then his son was arrested for pedophilia. And it's basically this. Uh, who was the, and, and the clown, how did he fit in? Was he he one was of the, the sons. So he was the sons. He was one of the sons. One of the sons, yeah, who wasn't arrested. And he was also documenting obsessively. So there's all these family home video footage of the family, like fighting and trying to work out how to do the legal route to help their father who's been arrested. Did he do it? Did he not do it? They aren't sure. But it's kind of weird because it's like you think of home video as like taking Happy a, birthday yeah, parties and jumping in the swimming pool. The good memories because but it's this a, guy had all this footage. Yeah. Okay, so then this filmmaker knew, okay, well, I've got this treasure trove. Yeah. And so it was the family called the Freedmans. Yes. Okay. Yes. Capturing the Freedmans. I wonder where that is because a lot of a lot of films, okay, every film is in its own hiding place. But yes. a lot of documentary gets a bit lost, gets shelved. It does. Or it's like maybe it's even in the catalogue of some of the streamers, but, I mean, how much is there? How will you find it, okay. you know? But th but that's one that sticks out for you. Big time. Um, and the Jinx, you'll, it also made like quite a – this – the Jinx came out about three years ago or so. It was it, okay. it was quite a smash hit. I would recommend that. It's um, also very captivating. Okay. And same director. Um, yeah. Okay. He's done very well. Okay. What are you watching at the moment? I don't think I've watched TV for a long time. No, at really? the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've just been a bit out of it. I think it's different, especially when you're an editor. You like stare at screens all day. Yeah. You so do. Do, you, do you not watch a lot at home? No, I do go through phases. I think we also have been like getting the load shedding schedule from like eight in the evening and like okay. that. Or, I don't know. Does um, your inverter or generator, you don't have one? We do, we do, but you got to move it, you got to plug it in. You got like yeah. sometimes we just lie on the couch. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so nothing, nothing at the moment is sticking out as, as something. I mean, the last thing that I watched that I absolutely loved and I can't wait for season three is White Lotus. Okay. That's my fave. Okay, why why do you like it so much? I love everything about it. I love the social commentary. I love the humor. I love the characters. I love the soundtrack. Yeah, the I, score is everything. Yeah, it's Especially, great. Especially, I've only watched season one. What? Yeah, I need to watch more. <laughs> I, I think it's my favorite TV. I think that guy's a genius. Yeah. What has been some of the feedback about episode one for you? So it's only been on the streamer for two days. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I, um, I mean, it all feels quite vulnerable for me, yeah. I must say. Because there are some billboards, eh? It's are up. there? It's up. No, I'm seeing it. Oh, I haven't seen one yet. But yeah. yeah so, I mean, um, some close dear friends and family have fed back to me, but I'm, I'm you know, sort of waiting excited to see him and that's what you really hope for as a filmmaker is resonance with an audience so i i hope that people like it and i'm not sure how you get that feedback you know social media is also dwindling yeah. um so i don't know yeah well even even if it's not dwindling it's 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 so broken up into so many different places yes. that it's quite hard to to hear the conversations and often it's just loud people on there not necessarily exactly yeah 
<laughs> um, what we like to do is obviously I do like to try and find a film for you to rent because that okay. is what we try and do at the video store. So I'm curious to know because I want to now play in documentary. Okay. Um, one that really sticks out for me, and perhaps you've seen it, I believe its name is called Life Animated. I don't know it. Okay. Um, it is a documentary about a, a family who have a young child who sometimes autism can present itself after a few years. Yes. So for them, they felt like they had this young little boy and then at about like three or four, I think it was, to them, and they describe it as like the lights went out. Right? Yes. This kid just sort of developed this autism. And then they were unable to communicate. It was an autism that, that, that sort of shielded him from the world. Yeah. But he watched a lot of Disney movies and this kid loved Disney movies. And then one day on a whim, or I forget how they discovered this, but they could put hand puppets of the characters. Yes. And then start. Then this kid started actually talking to wow. the characters. Wow. And they were able to use the magic of Disney yes. and these characters yes. to communicate with their son and wow. actually like bring him back. Wow. Have you, have you heard about the film? I have not. I should rent yeah. it. So that's what you're going to do. You're going <laughs> to rent that from us. So that's my pick for you. Okay, great. Um, another one which is great, which I know has been on and off our streaming platforms, is the three identical strangers. Yes, three perfect strangers. Three perfect strangers. Yes. Which is lovely, hey? It is. I'm also a twin, so I was into that Are you? big time. Yes. Oh, I'm dating a twin. Oh. It's very there. interesting hearing her talk about the twin life. Has she got a sister or a brother? A sister. Yeah. Oh. Oh, it's an intense relationship. You sort of know... An amazing thing happened the other day. She's like, something's, I just feel like something's off. I need to check in. Hey, do you get those? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a a powerful bond. Yeah. Lovely. Um, Okay. So we've got, we've got life animated for you to watch. Good. Um, That's something I can rent you. Uh, We've got one last film, um, which I'm curious to know whether you can think of anything offhand, which is the film that you would marry, the film that you would, that you could settle down with. I'm curious whether there's one off the top of your head that could be the one that you kind of always go back to, that you always enjoy. There was a film that I watched when I was at university at the Encounters Film Festival where I I used to say, if I could... uh, die happy it would it be if i made that film i wonder if like it's a it's a youthful love and my opinion would have changed but it was called bus 147 yes i remember that about and and it just also taught me so much about what it has the potential for a great documentary and maybe it seems obvious now but when i was like 20 it felt like really like yeah uh, important but it's about a a homeless young man in Brazil that takes a bus of people hostage. Yes. And then it's about trying to, and becomes this incredible media event because there's like 60 people on this bus and this gun-wielding, unhinged, homeless guy who's got them all hostage and news is covering it and stuff. And I just thought, so what that's got is like, then they go into like, what 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 is driving him? And they go into the invisibility of being a homeless person and then yeah. being a child. Like they show people at the streetlights like we have in South Africa performing, doing these incredible like circus acts. Just to stand out. And people just ignoring you, just yeah. to like averting their eyes. And you're like, 
a seven-year-old kid, like, what does that do to your psyche? That's great. Great point, yeah. So then I was like, this film has got, it's got like an incredible deep social issue, which obviously I feel strongly about and I think documentary leans into. It doesn't always have to, but that's my beat. Um, and then it has uh, a huge amount of news archive. Handy. <laughs> yeah. No, because it was such a televised event when it happened. And then also people will remember it. There's like a sort of anchor into it. And I was like, so that, that's that's the recipe for a documentary. And, and what was it called again? Bus? Bus 174. I, I hope I haven't gotten the numbers wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to just quickly... Brazilian. Yeah, 174. Bus 174, yeah. yeah. I remember that name because obviously what became so tricky in the in Encounters is that they would hand us 20 movies. Totally. And so we, as the cinema often didn't get the chance to watch them or watch all of them. Yes. But I remember that I remember that film coming up. Yeah, I, it struck me. But interesting that when I talk about movies and the great movies that you've loved, like you, you you're not just saying it because we're talking about docu-series or true crime, like you you were the documentary nerd like you you didn't watch like you you yeah. haven't defaulted to romantic comedies and action no, adventures and that's why i say i'm not a film buff like no you but you <laughs> are no no it's not about being a film buff that's that's the most important thing is it's not about that it's just about what came to you yeah to make you who you are because that's our theory our theory is that you watched some particular kind of musical and that mm. set you on a path to become a performer. Mm. Yes. You were watching and consuming this kind of documentary and that that took you into this world. That's where you are today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You I, had a mom who was a journalist. Yes. So the idea of building pieces and putting puzzles together and creating the story and your moral obligation to do certain things like revealing the truth like it's a whole that's a whole world on its own yeah it makes sense it makes sense how we get <laughs> to where we are today where you are delivering once again a very important story about an individual who is probably that person is multiple you know people around mm. us in mm. everyday society who yes. is able to prey on women yes specifically yes using a certain kind of personality which you are able to use these kinds of things to unlock yes you know sure there's everyone everyone's a unique person but when you watch bad vegan and you see how that guy did it mm. you watch tinder swindler and then when mm. you watch convict con man you society will get smarter and go oh i know these red flags yes they yes. do this they 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 tend to do that they yes. tend to say that they, they they then tend to turn yes you, you 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 show that often even in episode one where your your subjects would go and then he turned. Yes. And then people will now see those things yes. and understand, oh, that's what happens. That yes. person will default to anger. Yes. And then they will get aggressive. That will make me feel smaller. Or Absolutely. So you're helping you know, you're doing doing great work because you're helping society like pick these people up. Whether they know they are doing it or not. Yes. Which is also that's the other conversation which yes. you and I spoke about, which is like do these guys even know that they're narcissists? Exactly. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. But Nikki, I'm proud of you, man. Oh, thanks. And it's lovely. And I and you, of course, know where the story's going to go. But we are going to watch um, episode for episode to see how Convict Conman plays out. And you, and you, yeah, I hope it just leads to lots more. I hope you, you know, can thrive in the true crime space. I hope 
just like that Baz Luhrmann song, you leave before it makes you too tough. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It means but a lot. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate this. It's yeah, it's 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 really scary making something and showing it to other people. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate this conversation. No, but it's lovely. Well done. And we hope to see you at the video store soon. We hope to see you at the Bioscope. Yes, Every always. now and again. It's Even for comedy. Yeah, <laughs> come for something light and fun. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for the visit. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. All right. What a great chat. Yeah. It was a... Very documentary-centric I was, was going to say, it made it hard to find links. Yeah, and that's the crisis that, you know, some of these world-class documentaries, they don't stick around. They yeah. don't live on. They don't go to streaming services. They really should, you know. Are they on those streaming services that focus exclusively on documentaries? I can't remember what they're called, but there's a few of them. I don't know about them. Yeah, I've, I've seen ads for them, but I always forget the name. Right. It's just documentaries. Uh, okay. uh, documentaries tough because it, you know, it's often commissioned by channels. Yeah. Um, you know, certain like news agencies. There'll be like CNN documentaries, or there'll be National Geographic documentaries. They all go into different places, mm. but some of the harder ones they're not that accessible, which is a pity. Yeah, it is a pity. But uh, yeah. Encounters will no doubt come back to the bioscope again. That's usually middle of the year, just so people know and can mark their calendars. Cool. It's usually in June, July. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's one place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But um, let's talk about Wonka. Mm. <laughs> Good old Timothy. Are you uh, still gay for Chalamet? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I, I saw a very interesting uh, interview where he he sort of calls it his his second big film after Dune. Right. Which is interesting because in our head it feels like Chalamet has been everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just keep seeing his face. But in his mind, Dune was his big blockbuster debut. Yeah. And now this is his second one. So he he felt quite nervous about this one, apparently. Right. Interesting. And I suppose it is like a, a legacy character by a massive studio. Yeah. You know, it's like a legacy IP. Mm. But yeah, what are our thoughts? I adore it. Hey. Like from top to bottom, I was just, I, I, I felt joy in my heart for two hours <laughs> nonstop. And I think it, it's great to see that um, the director, Paul King, has this established style of like whimsy and magical realism is, is yes. his thing yeah. from Paddington to Paddington 2 yeah. and now Wonka. I was yeah. about to say, it's important that people know where this fits because mm. Paul King did the Paddington films, which I think took the whole world by surprise, where they were like, oh my God, I wasn't ready for how lovely this film was going to be. Exactly. Yes. When those trailers came out, I was completely skeptical. Yeah. Like, Why do I want to watch this? And, and a then- special shout out to the Nicolas Cage movie, um, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, where he reveals that his one of his favorite films of all time is Paddington uh, 2. Yeah. <laughs> because it really is. It's one of those things that the world didn't know it needed, yeah. you know, which is something lighthearted and fun. And magical and a little hyper done, but my God, is it? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's beautiful. You have you have Brendan Gleeson curiously saying marmalade, <laughs> and it just fills your heart with joy. Yeah, but yeah, Wonka's on that tradition. What mm. did you think, Graham? I uh, yeah, I also enjoyed it a lot. I think there were moments. My two favorite moments was when 
he started singing, and I think we all realized it was going to be a musical. Did no one know it point. was going to be a musical? I, I don't know. I saw dance sequences, but in my head it didn't clock as uh, okay. this is yeah, going to be a musical. Okay. And then when the moment he was on the boat, right at the start, starting to sing, yes. cool, I don't know what you said, Cole. It was so funny. You were like... Oh, he's going to sing. <laughs> Which just, was great. I grabbed you guys and I was like, he's singing. He's singing. <laughs> and then another sings. great moment, which wasn't in any spectacular point, but at one moment in, in, in quietness, Cole just went, this is a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really appreciate. Um, the one thing that I think is interesting is obviously it's got this sugar-coated candiness to it, yes. ironically, because it's all about the wonder of tasty, sweet chocolate. Yeah. But it didn't have any weird, crooked um, evilness that a lot of Roald Dahl has. Uh, okay, like the mm. sort of mean-spiritedness that kind of seeps into his stuff sometimes. Yeah, well, just like how kind of... Yeah, there's no trunch ball. Yes. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is coming from the guy that that wrote obviously a lot of kid stuff, but all yeah. that kid stuff was, had a, a little bit of rot in the core to yeah. it. You know, it was like the witches was, was quite evil. Mm. Um, and and like there was the something sinister about Willy Wonka, mm. you know, which is why the Gene Wilder version, which is the, you know, the much older one, um, there's a scene that like still slaps as being like quite, <laughs> fucking haunting the boat scene the boat scene yeah. where there's like pigeons with their heads being chopped off yeah and then of course the whole story we know of charlie and the chocker factory is like oh my god a lot of people are dying on this tour <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what happens to the kids that they get turned into chocolate <laughs> yeah and you know and like let's not forget there's about like five deaths in the story yeah where they're getting sucked up or eaten or drowned or well, i suppose it's sort of implied that they're not dying because it the original is very it has a lot of old man yells at cloud energy. Okay. In the sense that roll, it's it's that like roll doll going, mm, kids these days with their chewing gum in their television. Yeah. <laughs> so like each yeah, one yeah. of those things is designed to like teach a lesson. Sure. You know, no, which, okay, which is where it differs that. a lot from the, the Tim Burton version. Yeah. Then hopping over to the Tim Burton version yeah. where you've got Johnny Depp going, I'm going to like channel Michael Jackson. <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Which is what he said. He said like, I'm channeling this kind of weird infantile Michael Jackson sensibility yeah. which came out. He said he said Michael Jackson Marilyn Manson or something uh, like strange okay. like that. But I mean also once again it's like okay kids are dying. Yeah, but like the thing is like it's really clear in the original one it's about teaching these children a lesson. Sure. In yes. the Burton one it's about punishing them. It's yeah. way more mean-spirited than the yeah. original yeah. which really surprised me it like suits Tim Burton more. And I suppose it's probably closer to the source material that way. Yeah. Yeah, but then at the end of the Tim Burton one, you see them all exit the factory at the end. Yeah. Right? So they have to, the blueberry girl, they have to like squeeze all the blueberry juice yes. out of her. Yeah. It's terrifying. But like there's deliberate yeah. shots of him. Like you can see he's like relishing in like torturing these children. Yeah. It's like a horror movie for kids. Yeah, it's, well. it's like Saw. I suppose it's, I actually, I watched them both last night. I actually enjoyed the Burton one more than I did before. I, it's actually a pretty solid movie. Really? Okay. Yeah. I watched it a lot as a kid. I can't remember much about it, though. Mm. It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Um, but this one's great. And yes. I just love the fact that there isn't that. Yeah. And we can get away with not having that aspect of it. He's just a delightful chap who's come to this sort of nondescript city. It wasn't anything particular like Paris or it was a European city. Yeah. It looked like. But all he wants to do is bring his magical chocolate and start his chocolate factory. And there yeah. was this lovely backstory of... 
his mom. Yes. But um, yeah, then then he finds himself going up against these three sort of chocolate cartel yeah. folk who are trying to control the chocolate in this town, and he's raging against it. Yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, little nod to almost Fantastic Mr. Fox, which also had the three yeah. farmers yes. that they had this elaborate plot to dismantle. Yes. Which yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting. It is interesting. Because and this is an original story, right? There's no Wonka backstory that Roald Dahl um, wrote. Right? Yeah. It's just based so. off the characters. Yes. Yeah. So we wrote a whole bunch of new people in, and it's a lovely little story. And yeah. yeah, it's a wonderful little prequel. And, and great one music. Has to, I love the music. One has to talk about, I suppose, how pointed that metaphor is. And it's it's cool that it still operates in the space that Roald Dahl books are often didactic. They like yes. are teaching children a lesson. Yeah. Right? And trying to show them something about the world. And in this, there's a lot of things r- relayed to us about the world in the like format of a kid's story. Mm. So it's playful, but then we still go, oh, cops are corruptible. Yes. And they get bribed. Yeah. And the owners of big business want to dilute their products. Yeah in order to reserve a lot of it so they can make money forever and they don't sell superior quality products. And and then I suppose you can apply that to Warner Brothers making that, right? Yeah, it's really hard to not be a little bit cynical when like a big corporate studio is the one trying to like teach you this lesson. Yeah. And you're going, but it's about you, especially Warner Brothers right now. Yeah. With the way that they're treating their films. Exactly. How are they treating their films? Well, in terms of like canceling complete movies for the, for the tax rebate. Yeah. They did it with the Batgirl. They did it with their, they were doing a Wile E. Coyote movie. Also, just scraps it for, to get thirty million dollars back in taxes. Weird. Yeah, complete movies like they are done. They could release them now, and they just. That's always. Oh, and we'll never see those movies. movies. Yeah, but yeah, the 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 fact that the three evil chocolatiers in the town that weren't going to let Wonka open up his shop were stockpiling chocolate uh, in the vault below. Yes. Um, it reminds me a bit of the yeah the real life story of how we don't quite know how many diamonds are in some of those De Beers vaults, yeah. and if we knew, diamonds wouldn't be worth as much. They are they are stockpiling them and controlling how much diamond goes out into the world. Yeah, because the, there's a very clear sort of understanding that there's that they are sitting with an incredible amount of diamonds. Yeah. So much so that they wouldn't have the value that they have today. No. And they're also the one who created the whole concept of like having to buy a diamond ring as like an yeah, engagement. Yeah, diamonds are forever. De Beers, De Beers own that. Yeah. yeah. And so just when you yeah want to propose and you are forced to buy a diamond, <laughs> it's like just remember like corporations did that. It's yeah. a machination of like the mid 20th century. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. You know, same bef- as yeah, same as Santa Claus. Yeah, Santa Claus is not a big jolly red dude. Yeah, Coke made him red. Yes, that is Coca Cola. Um, I think he was like traditionally in yellow based on the actual Saint. What's his name? Saint something. Saint or Nicholas. Yeah, and like a lot of um, Dutch and like like the Finns have a lot of elf characters, and they mm. like thinner green, more elfish characters. Yeah, mm. but but the whole idea of this like jolly Caucasian man. <laughs> Is like, that's 100% Coke. Yeah. And it's so interesting how this becomes true for some, like these inventions of culture that we're talking about. Yeah. Become so real for so many people. Yeah. Have you tried to 
criticize diamonds in front of a straight white woman. <laughs> they get so angry yeah. at you. They get so wild. Yeah. I'm just like, roads must fall. Fuck this guy. Yeah. Like, of course, like they're throwing poo to statue. Why are you criticizing them? No one's listening to them. This guy was a doer. Yeah. You don't know your history. You, wow, you are dotting all around the place. You went from just, diamonds to roads to... It's all connected. Do Paul Kruger. Dude, do Paul Kruger. <laughs> we have some fucked up people in our history, man. Yeah. And but no one's telling their stories. Speaking about uh, the world falling and uh, things going to shit, yeah. um, we've got this Netflix film, Leave the World Behind. Mm-hmm, with Julia Roberts. It's Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke. Um, Mahershala Ali mm. yeah and so it's it's quite cryptic as to sort of what is going on but basically it's a family that um, go on a whim to a, a small like Hamptons town for a break for the weekend and then things start falling apart mm-hmm. the first thing we get is this crazy oil tanker I know, before that, the Wi-Fi stops working. The Wi-Fi, all of this. And so basically... All our data stops working, yeah. And I think we'll maybe get to the point where I'm at, (laughs) plot-wise, so that... Because I think it still sets it up. Nothing's been quite explained. But you get the idea that there is this big hack that's happened. And so everything is falling apart. They're insinuating it. Okay. As they're going along, that something something is happening. What could be happening? Is it an alien invasion? Is it a hacker that's... Right. Like but it's eerie. This, this this film has got this very eerie undertone, almost horror esque, as 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 you know they're in this small town, so there's not they're not like they're in this major city, but mm. there's just these signs that like things are falling apart. And then of course, right. um, how do you pronounce his name? Mershala. Mershala. I say Mahershala. Mahershala. I don't know. Mahershala Ali. Yeah. Arrives with his daughter. Right. And knocks on the door late at night. And he's like, I'm actually the person who owns this house that you're renting from me. Right. And then you get the 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 hint that he kind of knows what's going on. Oh, okay. But basically, what I want to say is that I'm pretty sure, similar to Don't Look Up, which came out around this time last year, right? Mm. This is one of these big films that has got something to say. Right. And, and I believe this is going to be a nice little commentary on how reliant we are on technology and the sort of dangers of AI and the dangers of, of how simply we could be hacked. Right. And how the world would just fall apart. <laughs> right. Absolutely fall apart if we don't have Wi-Fi. Right. <laughs> and okay. if we don't have signal. Okay, given that you actually watched it, Cole. It's not a satisfying answer at all. Uh, Dramatically, at least. Okay. The concept of it is great. So I'm not going to give it away. Cool. Um, but, you know, we were talking about it earlier and you were saying you watched the first hour and you're like, what? And that engagement is amazing. The yeah. pacing is really fucking good. Mm. You're sitting there with this like tension growing in your chest. And there are a few editing sequences throughout um, where you just feel like this is incredible direction. It's one of the, or the creator of Mr. Robot. I was about oh, to say, okay. yeah, there, there's, there's, the, the camera is very playful. Mm. And I think you it's very can, stylized. if you haven't watched the film yet and you are now going to watch it, enjoy seeing how playful the camera is. Right. It's like moves and swings. Mm. And there's that, there's a great shot where they are looking through a window right? and you're on the inside and this camera tracks across. And before you know it, you're on the outside, but you never went through a plane of glass. It, it's like the seamless shot where once they were on the outside, they must've like CGI'd a window right. pane so that 
But it's so subtle. Like your average person would never have picked that up. Yeah. But I was like, I posted and I said to Liz, like, watch, look at that. How do you think they did that? <laughs> There's a lot of that. It's very inventive in terms of its camera work. But the problem with that what the fuck statements is that there's no midpoints what? in the narrative. Really? Okay. Well, like how is there not a midpoint? How does your story not have a midpoint? There is no midpoints. So the midpoints of a story, Russ, can That's I explain this wild. to you? Do you need me to explain it to you? I'll explain it for the school, audience. But explain yeah. it to the audience. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you looked a bit lost. <laughs> uh, but basically the midpoint of the narrative is the, is the point at which... And if you pause your TV, it's often the timeline's in the middle of the movie. Yes. Where the conflict changes in some kind of way. Yes. Like either a truth is revealed, like a villain is revealed, mm. or the mechanism of the conflict has changed. Yes. So you get more information and then suddenly you go, oh, this is what's really happening. Yes. Right? It's the T-Rex the breaking out in Jurassic Park is the midpoint. Yes, yeah. exactly. So we know that the park is like something's going wrong yes but now we're not just on an exploration of a park we're going to survive eat, being eaten by dinosaurs yes. like that's yeah. how the conflict changes yeah. yeah and in this that what the fuck question yeah. sustains all the way until the very end of the movie when a character explains what's happening oh so okay. there's huh. they don't ever really reveal what's happening you're questioning so they're very much trying to say if you're a person and this is happening this is how much you're going to know yes but okay. then in terms of engaging with conflicts, yes. you kind of sit there and go, oh, I didn't see what happened. Yes. You told me what's happening and the movie ended. Right. Because so, what, what you want to do is kind of like build that tension and then reach a point where you like break it and redirect it into something else that kind of like informs you more. Exactly. But this, they save it for the climax, basically. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> to the point where it kind of ruins it for you? Absolutely. Oh, okay. So you, the guy explains what's happening. You go, oh, and then cuts credits. So you don't, there's right. no catharsis really in terms of. Were they setting us up for a sequel? No. Okay. No. No, no. They basically, yeah. So everything you said about what the film could potentially be about, it is about. Okay. And there, it is a, it is a cool satire, I think. It does pose some interesting questions. Um, and I want to do more research after this about how realistic the scenario is. Uh, okay. um, and yeah, obviously I don't want to give you any spoilers. Yes. But I think the thing to be said about it is that technically it's great. Cool. And so cool to see Julia Roberts again. Yeah. <laughs> also going batshit crazy in one scene. It's hilarious. You must see what she does to a deer. It's the funniest thing I've seen. Right. It's like, it's, it's one of those moments where you sit there going... I'm supposed to be terrified right now, but I'm just laughing at Julia Roberts because this is a bit unhinged. Wow. Uh, and yeah, I thought like acting all around was amazing. Cool. But it feels like they establish a lot of interactions between characters that they don't really pay off on. Uh. And also the microcosm of what's happening in this house, mm. which is what I think they were going for, is a microcosm of what's happening in the world around them. They were yes. trying to like distill it into these relations between two families. Right. Right. Mm. And that also just doesn't really pay off. Right. So okay. it's a lot of unkept promises. That's the feeling you get at the end of it. Okay. All right. Well, you let us know, everyone yes. listening in the in the aisles of the store, and those who have come to the <laughs> counter. Eavesdropping on our discussion. Those who have come to the <laughs> counter and are joining in on the chat. Um, let us know what you think of it. Um, but yeah, it's on Netflix. Mm. And it's, it's definitely a tentpole film. It's a big cast. Yeah. It's a big thing. It went straight to Netflix. And okay. So, like, I think Netflix curious. are going to get their streams. 
Yeah. Most certainly. Cool. And Ethan Hawke has the bluest eyes. <laughs> he does. He is so beautiful. Like, they are such beautiful people. Julia Roberts as well. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like yeah. she's one of those actresses as well, at least of her generation, where a lot of those women have had a lot of work done right. on their faces. And I don't think Julia has. Okay. And, yeah, I don't know why that's the thing we need to prescribe in terms of the value of these older women. Yes. Sorry. No, but, uh, but she just looks gorgeous, like, in her older age. And also, it's cool to see, sorry, that the complaint with women in movies a lot of the time has been they're cast when they're younger in their 20s and early 30s mm. and when they reach that like 40s mid 50s age yes they're not really there are no roles for them really right and here she can be a mother right right trying to protect her children yeah and you can see that unfold in a very compelling thriller and yeah. that doesn't happen often cool lovely man okay so that's leave the world behind which is on netflix mm. And, and then, of course, we spoke about Wonka, which is in cinemas. And I think it is a great December holiday yes. outing. Yes. And it's good to enjoy on the big screen. Yeah. Is there anything else, guys, that you think is worth chatting about now? Otherwise, I think we... I don't think so. We pack up the store and we uh, yeah. head on home. Eh? Yeah. yeah. It's, been a lovely, uh, it's been a lovely day here mm. at the video store. I treasure you guys. Oh. <laughs> I treasure I love you watching more. movies with you. <laughs> It was a treat to go out to the cinema and, and watch Wonka. Speaking of which, are you going to come watch Godzilla Minus One with Graham and I this weekend? If I'm in- so happy it's coming to theaters in South Africa. Right, I thought it wasn't coming. <clears throat> if you invite me. Hell yes. <laughs> That's what I'm doing, bro. I'm like Napoleon when I was just not there because <laughs> I didn't get the message. Um, Godzilla Minus One, this is the Japanese one. Yes. That's cool that it's coming to South African yeah. cinema. And people are absolutely losing their shit over it. Yes. Like legitimately saying it's one of the best films of the year. Because yeah. the, the Japanese created Godzilla. It's yeah. theirs. Mm. And like, and I, I've mentioned it before, like the, there's people who have dedicated their whole lives to like being the guy in the suit. Yeah. You know, in those earlier Godzilla films, like they embodied the soul of this, of this character. Yeah. And, and there was great reports when the Americans did it and, and the guy who played Godzilla said, like, I don't know this one. I don't recognize this. Yeah. And it, it's not Godzilla. I can't, I can't see his soul. You know, which, yeah. is like, <laughs> which is like, you think it's overthinking it, but it's not. It's one of the biggest franchises or one of the most prolific franchises in film history. Yeah. There's very specific understanding of who Godzilla is and how he fits in and what he's got and where he's come from. And, mm. So I'd imagine the Japanese would do a great job. Yeah. And I think a really good film to watch before this, if you haven't seen it, Raz, mm. is Shin Godzilla, oh. which came out 2016? It was like just that? after Gareth Edwards' 2015 Godzilla uh, okay. remake. Okay. Um, where it's basically using Godzilla as a metaphor for the Fukushima disaster and how chaotic and useless the government were in responding to a crisis. Yeah. Mm. So it has Godzilla coming on land not as Godzilla but as like a little armless like monster like going like looks really weird yeah but then he morphs into Godzilla as he goes through it becomes like way more serious yeah and but it's always intercutting with the ministers and they have to go have this meeting with that minister and then go have this meeting with that person and then eventually they have a meeting with the president Mm. and dialogue is going like crazy throughout it's all about bureaucracy one's got to find that on the seas eh Oh yeah, yeah no, I, don't I think, think so. I don't think you can stream it anyway. Yeah. Okay, but Godzilla minus one is the new one. Yeah. Okay, it's an interesting title. Yeah. Okay. I'm, sure I'm very excited playing. that Godzilla's design is very much looking like the OG 
Yeah. Godzilla in this one. With it is close. Fat legs. Okay, yes. but when are we going? Uh, Saturday or Sunday, probably. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm keen. Lacquer duties. Nice. nice. All right. Okay, well, listen, thank you for listening this far. We had a, we had a great day here. Our home base is the video store.co.za. Everything is there. Links to all our social media, old episodes, and uh, chime in. Let us know what you think about what we spoke about today. We want to yep. hear from you. And we will see you again next week. Rad. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. TGFN.